Welcome to the 49ers Camelot Podcast. I'm excited to have you today, and I'm really excited about our guest. One of the 49ers Podcast OGs, Oscar Aparicio from the Better Rivals Podcast. About a year ago, they decided to put it to rest. We're all sad about that, but we're great to great to, to have Oscar here. Great to see him. Hey, Oscar, thanks so much for emerging from your darkness retreat. How is Aaron Rodgers doing? Uh, I don't know, but the rumor is that if he sees his shadow, then it's 12 more months of no Super Bowl. Uh, so that's... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think he's going to have a longer wait than that, but <laughs> that's that's a great comeback right off the bat, man. Sharper than ever. Uh, listen, I can't take credit for that. I saw that one on the internet. Uh, oh, I may have sent oh. that one to some friends. So it's it's not <laughs> mine, but it is good. That That is pretty good. Well, listen, how's life been since uh, the end of the Better Rivals podcast? I'm, I'm listening to you about a year ago. I was driving to Oklahoma and on my way there, I'm, sorry. I'm, listen, I'm listening to uh, your podcast and it was the end of the road and the last one. And I was like, what? And so I, I, when did you guys start that? Because I feel like I've been listening to you since before the Harbaugh years. It was around the Harbaugh years that we started. So it, I always get the year wrong. David always corrects me. He's usually the, the historian of the group, but <laughs> I, I started it originally with a buddy of mine named Richard in 2011. And, and that was the first Harbaugh year. So it, it didn't it, like, I actually had done a podcast myself in like 2008. Okay. And I, I think I had like two episodes. It was actually with the 49ers web zone. And, and this was back when I was uh, writing for them and moderating the, the forums. And I tried it for a couple episodes. I think Matt Barrows was gracious enough to come on and it just, it was hard to run that solo and I wasn't very good <laughs> and the technology wasn't there. So uh, around 2010 is when Richard and I decided we were going to try to do something. Um, and I, I don't think it kicked off until 2011, but things really took off in 2012 when David uh, joined the show. And David, mm -hmm. he's the, you know, he's the podcast that everyone or the, the host that everyone knows and loves. And he was deployed, came back from his deployment. And I knew he was a Niners fan. We used to work together at Apple. And I was like, hey, why don't you come join the show? Come and chat. And and that we had it as a triumvirate for a bit, but then uh, it really it really became like the the David and me show. And that's what the podcast kind of turned into. And it was it was a wonderful, wonderful show. I have lots of fond memories, lots of people that I still talk to um, as a result of the show. And it really was a, a wonderful about 10 year run. Yeah. And you guys were a great team and you played off of each other real well. And so, and one of the things that I think about it is that you brought something different to the 49ers content arena. Now there are some these days that do similar things to what you guys did, but when you started, you really were the only ones that I knew of that broke down film that were into analytics. Was that part of the plan from day one or did it just kind of evolve into that? It really did evolve into that. I'll, I'll be honest, and I don't know uh, how many people know this, but 
the original conceit of the show between me and Richard was going to be more of like a debate style, hot takey kind of show. And, and it was born out of the fact that him and I are, are really good friends. And we would just, you know, as young men do get drunk and argue about stuff. Um, and so we were like, I'm sure this is interesting for lots of people. I'm sure it probably wouldn't have been, but we, <laughs> but at the time we thought it would be, but it wasn't it, it. When we started the show, it was around the time that Kaepernick and Harbaugh really started to take the league by storm. And that kind of set me on a journey as like, okay, why does this work? Why does the option work? What is the zone read? What the hell is going on? And I thought that it would be neat to take the listeners along that journey with me as I learned a bit more about it. David already knew a bunch of this stuff. He spent a lot of his deployment reading some coaching books and he came back and was like, read this, read that, read this, read that. And I did. And so that, that was the, the beginning of the show. We basically shelved the, the, you know, first takey kind of stuff pretty quickly because it, it didn't, it didn't work. And, and we just kind of said, you know what, we're learning. It wouldn't be a bad idea to have other people learn too. Let's go that route. Yeah. And, uh, and it, it was a good move <laughs> in part because it was more fun to do that. It was more fun to learn about stuff. Um, and, and I do feel like it was, it was good for other people to to come along that journey too. Yeah, it really was. And you know, there were, there were phrases that are in like terms that you would teach your listeners and many that I had never heard of, you know? And, and so I always thought that it was good and, and it helped me, um, you know, just as a fan. And then, and then when I started writing for the 49ers web zone, um, I relied on that kind of stuff a lot as well. So, uh, because I'm, I'm far too lazy to study like you guys. So <laughs> I have to get that uh, information from other people. So how does it feel after all those years of doing it? How does it feel to, to be, to know that a generation of 49ers fans grew up listening to you? It's, it's pretty wild sometimes, I will say. Um, and it's, I mean, we always had, we had a lot of fun doing it and, and it was great. And, and it is, it is wild to think that lots of people, I, I was, I was at a, a vacation in Mexico once and someone was like, um, I saw them wearing a Niners jersey and, and I was like, oh, hey, like go Niners or whatever. And then he was like, wait, you sound familiar. Uh, and he just <laughs> <laughs> likely had listened to the show. So it's, it's, it's pretty wild that, that we've had a little bit of an impact on, on Niner fandom in general. It's incredibly humbling, honestly, that, you know, we just, we started it because we loved the team and we love to learn and we thought other people might enjoy that too. Um, and so being a part of that kind of the, the culture of fans that, that surround the 49ers, which I think are a wonderful set of fans by and large, um, is, uh, is really neat. And it was, it was a really fun, fun ride. Yeah. And go Niners. That was kind of the way that you would send off each episode. Was yeah. it sad to, to let it go? Cause I rem I remember, you know, listening to your last episode and it, it, it felt a little sad to me. It, it was sad it, and it, and it still is sad. Like there are, I, I don't uh, regret not continuing the show or if I can avoid a double negative, like the decision <laughs> to end it was fine, I think. And, and I definitely have more time to spend with my family. I don't have this yeah. schedule of content that I have to keep up with because it did get to be, I mean, it was a lot and it was because we really prided ourselves on the research that we did. Like we, we weren't necessarily always going to be right, but damn it, we were going to be informed and we were going to do our research yeah. and we were going to try to show listeners the process 
So if they disagreed, they at least knew why we got to the conclusions that we got to, because um, we thought that's just the way that that thing should go. Um, so, you know, the, the, the schedule of like watching the game, rewatching the film, putting together a video, putting together a podcast, putting together another video that we did for Patreon on Thursday and then doing, wow. you know, like it was, it was a lot of stuff. Um, so I definitely think it was a, a good time to end it. Um, but it was still sad. It was a big part yeah. of our lives for 10 years. Yeah. Um, and being able to stay that plugged into the team, um, I really enjoyed. I enjoyed learning all the things that that we learned. I thought that was fun. Yeah. So yeah, it was absolutely sad. Um, and still sometimes I do like think to myself, like, man, it'd be good to just like jump back on the mic for a little bit and talk about it. And then I think about all the prep I'd have to do. And I'm like, I don't want to do that. I don't want to yeah. do that anymore. <laughs> I just, I just recently started this podcast, like in the last month. And one of the reasons I've been fighting it for over a year is because of the work, uh, because yeah. I would be on other podcasts and look, that's easy. You show up, you talk, you leave. And, and I, I was enjoying that, but you know, it just, uh, there comes a point where you have to give in. And, uh, and so that's, that's what I ended up doing. So Mark, I like your name here. Mark says, uh, still think you and David just chatting after a game would have worked even without all the deep stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Mark, I, you don't understand our sickness. You like <laughs> our, our, our illness is that we, we didn't feel like we would bring, uh, like that much value about like, we didn't want to turn it into talking heads. You know what I mean? And, and there, there's a lot of that stuff out there. There really is. And some of it's really good and fun and interesting. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. But we really like, we were trying to answer the questions that we had as fans. It's like, why does that happen? And, and we know the amount of work that it takes in order to have a really, an answer that you can sum up in a couple of minutes it takes a lot of work. Yeah. Um, and so we, we knew that it wouldn't have been up to our standard for what we wanted to listen to. And so we just said, you know, it's, it's, it's time. David and I, I mean, he lives 10 minutes away from me. He's still my best hmm. friend. Um, we ran a marathon on Sunday wow. <laughs> not together because he's faster than I am, but we still talk <laughs> about stuff all the time. Um, you know, and so that's so we'll, cool. Yeah. It's, well, thanks uh, for it's, doing that all those years, man. Uh, thanks for all the time that, that thank you for tuning that. in you you did the you know you did the other the other end of that so appreciate the the listen and and glad you're kicking it up man the web zone is where the better rivals podcast started you know back with yeah uh when david uh bonilla he's the different david um you know he's still running the show over there at web zone but mm -hmm. um but yeah it's a it's a wonderful wonderful spot i've got lots of fun memories for the web zone yeah yeah it's a fun place so let's get into some 49ers talk here Sadly, for the second consecutive season, the 49ers lost in the NFC Championship. What what did you take away from this season? It was it it was a crazy one. It was very memorable. What what were your highlights, your lowlights? What uh, what did you take away? I had a lot of fun. Like I had a lot of fun this season, and and it was. I mean, we went what like two months without a loss. Yeah, you know, probably more than that. You know what I mean? Like not losing basically until the game that ends your season, unfortunately. But it was a fun, fun ride. Scoring more than 30 points a game, beating the Cowboys in the playoffs again, <laughs> 6 and 0 in the division, you know, finally going into Seattle and winning the division again in Seattle and mm -hmm. feeling like that demon's a bit exercised, even though it came up again in Denver. Uh, 
and and I mean it was it was fun. It was a lot of fun to see this offense hum. Trading for Christian McCaffrey was fun too. And and so for me, the season was just it was fun. Um, and and that's probably what I took away. And even when we lost it, it does the manner in which we lost was really frustrating because yeah, and I'm sure I mean Niner fans everywhere feel this way. Like if you lose the game, fine, you lose the game, but not even feeling like you have the opportunity to compete in that game is the frustrating bit. Mm-hmm. But but that the way the season ended doesn't rob or remove all the other fun moments that that the season brought um, and those great wins and, and the way that the team just complete completely overcame all that it had to overcome to have such a successful season. Um, so for me, it was it was a lot of fun. It's it's one of the most fun seasons I've had since probably like I mean the Super Bowl season. Um, yeah. And even then, like during the Super Bowl, like you're like a little bit on tenters hooks because you're like, is like, are, when, when are the wheels going to fall off? Like, I'm not sure <laughs> if this is sustainable. Right. Um, and now we've seen it enough where it's like, yeah, this is this is them. This is fun. Um, you know, you're going to get hit with Debo Jennings on third down. Ayuk, you know, on glance routes. It's just it's fun. It's fun to watch. And the defense, too. Like that was its own its own thing. But it was a lot of fun. Yeah, it was a fun season. You know, sadly, it ended the way that it ended. And, um, you know, I, I, I've always disliked the Seahawks and the Cowboys the most, partially because of their fans, partially because of, you know, just rivalry things. But those Philly fans have jumped to the top of my list of, of most hated fan base. Um, I, don't, I don't like them now. <laughs> they just, they were horrible to so many 49ers fans. Um, and then, and then on Twitter, man, they just came out of the woodwork to find us. And so that was annoying too, but you mentioned the, the offense scoring over 30 points a game for a good stretch there. And a lot of that had to do with Brock Purdy. A lot of it had to do with Christian McCaffrey. What is it about Kyle Shanahan's offense that makes it so hard to defend? So I think it's it's a couple different things. The it starts with presenting similar pictures to defense, but layering different concepts around them. One of the ones that is is a really famous example was what a lot of people thought of when he came from Atlanta to San Francisco, and that's the kind of complementary nature of the a concept that he calls blazer, and then the blaze out. Um, without pictures, it's difficult to describe, but blazer includes kind of like this deep over route. It's a Julio Jones special, right? Well, then you you run that deep over route, but instead you kind of like basically break it off and break to the sideline. So everything to the defense looks and feels like Blazer. And then all of a sudden you, you break that route out. And now the defense is like, oh, no, but it's like, you know, late in the down. What if that happens? So, you know, everything's about pattern recognition for defenders. And they're like, I've seen this pattern. I've seen this pattern. I've seen this pattern until they have it. <laughs> and that's really difficult for defenses to defend. And, and it's not just in the passing game where that happens. It's also in the run game. You know, everyone knows Shanahan runs the wide zone. That's great. But now you, you often see those windback runs. And that windback run is a great counter to the wide zone because you see, again, same picture. Okay, my keys are telling me everyone's flowing to one side. But now it's actually designed to cut back. And, and so now it's like, I've got the picture. I've got the picture. Let me go ahead and run aggressive to this gap. Well, the more aggressive you run what you think is play side, the easier it's going to be to cut back. Hmm. Um, and then you layer onto that the formational versatility that Shanahan can bring with Debo in the backfield, CMC out wide. Wow. You know, now 
you just have so many things to worry about as a defense that you play slower. And if you play slower, you're not playing as effective as you can be. I was talking to Ian Williams uh, a couple of years ago, and we were talking about like, you know, Ian Williams, former defensive tackle, nose tackle for the 49ers. He played for Vic Fangio. And he was talking about how they would talk a lot about how players are computers. And just like a computer, you throw a lot at it. And all of a sudden it starts to kind of like seize up. Like it just can't do that. It runs out of memory. It can't, it can't operate at that speed. And that's effectively what Shanahan is doing. He's throwing so many things at the defense, whether they matter or not, that they have to process that it wow. forces them to slow down. And that's not even taking into account the fact that he knows defensive rules such that he can manipulate those rules. That's the other thing that makes it difficult to defend. Um, you, uh, Sherman, Richard Sherman, has a wonderful quote about how Shanahan broke all of their defensive rules when <laughs> they played them. And so it was like, we just, we had to change a lot of what our checks were and our calls were because Shanahan was basically poking at each one of the, the, the problems in the defense. And so I think... You know, it, it, all those things put together just make it a really, really difficult thing to stop week in and week out. That doesn't mean he's going to be perfect every game, but sure. he always tends to have some kind of an advantage when you put those things together. Yeah, the it's the misdirection. Is that what you're talking about with getting the defense moving one way, but then the play is coming back around the other way? Or is that yeah, it's, it's not so much it's I mean, it is a form of misdirection. I think when when often when you hear misdirection in the the context of the NFL, you think about play action or kind of like look over here, but this is happening over there. A, a really good example of misdirection would be the touchdown that George Kittle scored against Seattle, where, you know, you kind of like fake the screen one way, fake the screen another way and then throw to a player. Gotcha. Uh, down the middle of the field. I think that's what most people think when they think misdirection within the the context of the NFL. What Shanahan does is almost more pernicious and more annoying for a defense. It's <laughs> that even if you just run the play the way it's supposed to be run, it looks like three other plays that the Niners have run before. And, and the defense can't really tell what the difference is until it's probably too late. Yeah. Um, and he does this with the route combinations and route stems. Like, He's got, uh, and some of, I mean, the way they name stuff is really funny, but like you've got stick and tree, you know, it's like <laughs> stick is just a short route, but then tree is like, it looks like stick until it's not right. And then it's a little bit longer route, you know? So it's, it's little things like that, like, you know, blaze, blazer, blaze out, you know, yeah. like it's, it's a lot of times it's in the names, um, that the concepts are related, but he thinks about that. He thinks, okay, I'm going to, it's going to look like this until it doesn't. And, and that is even if you're just running the play as it's supposed to be run. And as a play caller, he's also really good at stacking those things together. He's not calling plays in a vacuum. He's calling mm -hmm. plays to see how the defense reacts and then has a bevy of options based on how the defense reacts to attack those things. Yeah. Um, it's something that's really hard to replicate, um, but he can do it. And it's why he's such a good, you know, offensive uh, play caller and system designer. So you don't think he should be fired? No, that's ridiculous. Uh, I think one. I think one of my other takeaways from this year is is how really good of a head coach yeah. Kyle Shanahan is. Yeah, there there are a lot of things that that you don't see on paper that I think are associated with a really good leader, and that is what Kyle Shanahan is. He's the leader of this franchise, and mm -hmm. the leader. And he's not just the offensive designer or the offensive play caller. He is those things, and he does those things well. But he's also fantastic at identifying talent. How many times has the coaching staff been rated now? Like they've been rated right. so many times yeah. on offense and on defense. Mm -hmm. And he's found Robert Sala. He's found D'Amico Ryans. 
He's found, you know, Mike LaFleur. He's found Mike McDaniel. You know, now Bobby Slowick is getting poached. Like he's got, he just knows how to find these players. And, and I'm certainly not saying that he's on the same level as Bill Walsh, but that's how the Niners sustained their dynasty in the 80s because Bill mm -hmm. Walsh always found a bench of people that were there that he could develop, that could carry on the things that he knew worked. You know, you've got George Seifert on defense, but Ray Rhodes is also on defense. You also have Shanahan on offense. Um, you know, you've got a lot of the, that's how you sustain organizations. And Shanahan has been able to sustain this organization by finding good people. The way the locker room is built, the way the locker room is tight, all that stuff is from deliberate choices that they've made at the leadership level to get the Niners to a place where they can sustain excellence. And that goes beyond just what he does with designing offenses and designing plays. And yeah. I think sometimes people get a little myopic or myopic about like, well, he doesn't do well on fourth downs. No, he's behind the curve when it comes to fourth down decision. <laughs> he is. And he's not as aggressive as we would want him to be. Right. <laughs> but that in the context of the larger things mm -hmm. that it takes to be a good head coach is just one of many facets. And he just ticks so many boxes that he is one of, I think, the five best coaches in the NFL. Yeah. And if you're going to fire him, you better have a Bill Belichick type player like waiting in the wings because you don't find very many Shanahan's just kind of laying around um, ready to hire. Yeah, you're right. I mean, you you fire Kyle Shanahan, and within within minutes, he's going to have a new job. So, 100%. Uh, yeah, I, I definitely don't get behind that. Let's let's talk real quick about quarterbacks because you have Trey Lance that they spent a lot to get, and I if if I remember right, David wasn't real high on Trey. You were a little higher on him. What do you, where, where's your head with Trey Lance right now? What, like, are, are you in the Brock Purdy camp or are you like, look, I don't care as long as we win. I, the, the way that I've taken it is if they start a game tomorrow and both are healthy, Brock Purdy likely gives them the best chance to win in a few years. It's possible that Trey Lance might be a lot better. Where, where are you at on the 49ers quarterbacks? Yeah, it's. I mean, it's the question that if we had the answer to, uh, we could probably get paid a lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's and it's the it's the biggest question that Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch have to answer about this yeah. team, and they better get it right because this is for for some time the Niners have been a quarterback away from having potentially two championships. Mm -hmm. um, they are they are truly that close. The roster they've built is 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 very very good, yeah. um, and and so I think that. What what David was reacting to when we were going through our Trey Lance evaluation is is an issue that is is still kind of there, and that's his accuracy. Yeah, uh, Trey Lance's accuracy. It's not great. <clears throat> of the prospects that were drafted in his draft class, his his charted accuracy from Pro Football Focus, so not like his completion percentage, but where the ball location was, was one of the worst of the quarterbacks in that class. And, and generally speaking, you don't see that turn around 180 degrees too much in a player's NFL career. That doesn't mean it's impossible. Mm -hmm. It just means that it's not something you generally see. And, and that is a problem for offenses like San Francisco's where the guys are going to be open. You just got to get them the ball. Yeah. Um, and, and so that like the Josh Allen is the example of it turning around in the NFL but Josh Allen is the is usually not the like the case. Usually that's like the thing that breaks the rule. He's the exception. Mm 
Um, and so it's like, you have to kind of bank on him having a Josh Allen type trajectory and it may happen, but at this point, we're still not sure if yeah. that's the case because he hasn't played a lot of football. Um, so that, that's the one thing that I would probably watch with Trey Lance and, and the Niners probably have more information about this because they see him throwing practices and they've got some of that stuff and more data than we have access to. But, but that's the thing that you would typically worry about with someone like Trey Lance. I think that we often, we have a little bit of recency bias with Brock Purdy because he was recently the quarterback. We see him play most recently. I was going back and watching just some like week one, week two Trey Lance stuff and some preseason stuff. I think we forget how physically gifted Trey Lance is. Mm -hmm. He has a rocket arm. I was watching the monsoon game, the week one game. <laughs> and yeah, it, it got ugly there at the end because it got yeah. real sloppy. But right. that ball is wet. That ball is heavy. And he is still like rifling 15 yard throws. <laughs> um, and, and he had a couple really pretty throws where he, you know, he dropped one over the top to, to Jennings on a deep throw. Um, you know, he certainly had a miss on a deep throw to, to Croft, but like there, there's a reason he was drafted third overall. Um, and, and that wasn't like a super wild out of bounds take. The, the issue was how many snaps does he get? Can yeah. he play? Can he develop? And that's, that's a little bit of the issue. Um, I do think that Brock Purdy is, I, it, he is a, an absolute steal as a seventh round pick. And at worst, I think he's solved your backup quarterback situation for some time. Um, can he be a quarterback? Can he be the quarterback? I think he put some wonderful things on tape. Um, mm -hmm. But I do think the Niners would be remiss if they didn't give Lance a chance. And transparently, I think the injury gives them that opportunity. Because yeah. I think now with the surgery delay, you now have a really clear path to maybe have Lance start for four games. Mm -hmm. Take it easy with Brock Purdy and say, what do we have in Lance for four games? And if he comes out is four and oh, and is a huge, you know, kind of catalyst to the Niners success in those four, four games, you ride that out. You ride it out. Yeah. And, and, and that, that is possible because, you know, people want to put the blame on Trey uh, for that Chicago loss, but yeah, he wasn't great, but we know the situation. The whole team wasn't great. I mean, there was the, the play on defense where they let Dante Pettis, Dante Pettis score. Um, there was the Debo Samuel fumble at the 12 yard line, you know, on the opening drive uh, when they were moving the ball really well. So, you know, who knows what would happen if he didn't get hurt. He was driving the ball uh, against the Seahawks, but yeah, you're right. Uh, he, he needs an opportunity. And w I, I think that he's probably going to get, that opportunity for, for a little bit, but yeah, I I'd hate to be making the decision right now uh, yeah. between those two. Uh, what I, what I will say is that Lance's window of opportunity is a lot smaller because of the existence of Brock Purdy, because mm -hmm. you know that you have effectively Jimmy Garoppolo. And I think a little better than Jimmy Garoppolo level play. And the Niners know they can get to a championship game and a super bowl and potentially even win a super bowl with that level of play. Lance is where his window may have been pretty wide before. Um, it's pretty narrow now. He's going to have yeah. to win and and do well in those wins because if there's any slippage, I think Shanahan will have no issue with saying this is great. We're going to go ahead and have you sit and and we've you know learned from Brock because he's outperforming you. Um, so I don't think that Shanahan is going to be um, Shanahan's going to make the the decision he thinks is best for the team to win. 
And, yeah. and that I think is, is a good place to be. Yeah, he definitely will. Did you hear the, uh, the quote from Matt Mayoko? Uh, he was in the locker room on locker room cleanout day and had a player. This was when there were rumors circulating about Tom Brady and a player told Matt, there's going to be a lot of pissed off people if Brock Purdy's not the quarterback. Now, Matt didn't take that as a slight against Trey. He took it as don't bring in Brady or somebody from the outside. Did you did you hear that? And did you have any kind of thought uh, to that? Or, or do you think, hey, let's, that's just a, a player rallying around his guy? Yeah, I, I did hear that when Mayoko, when Mayoko mentioned it. And I do think that in any locker room, there's going to be lots of alliances and friendships and things that are built over time. And I mean, especially after a game uh, and a game that I'm sure a lot of and a, that a lot of 49ers fans thought they could and should win, as evidenced by their post championship quotes, um, <laughs> it was probably still a little raw. You know what I mean? They'd just gone through battle with Brock Purdy. He just literally tore his elbow to the point where he couldn't throw more than five yards and still played the majority of the second half yeah. because Josh Johnson had a concussion. Like they, they literally just battled with this guy. I think, of course, that's going to engender a lot of support from that locker room but yeah. i do think that if anyone i mean if anyone can navigate some weird locker room stuff it's shanahan he proved yeah. that he can do it with jimmy garoppolo and that's one of the things in his in his are you a good head coach bucket that a lot of people don't think about initially but i do think is important because um, managing quarterbacks is not easy i mean ask nathaniel <laughs> hackett ask russell wilson uh, it's not it's not something that anyone can just walk in and do and i think shanahan can do it so even if it is not brock purdy i do think shanahan will be able to manage that situation yeah. Let's let's do a quick word association game. So I'm going to give you a name and you tell me the first thing that pops in your head. Talanoa Hufanga. Hair. <laughs> Love it. Jimmy Ward. Milk. <laughs> it's 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 because he needs to drink milk to stop breaking bones. <laughs> I, you know, I remember that now, uh, from your podcast. I remember that Mike McGlinchey misunderstood. All right. Uh, I think he, I think he gets a lot of crap on the socials because of blown blocks. Yeah. And I wouldn't say that he's like a bad right tackle. Um, he does have some issues anchoring against bull rushes. Like that's the thing that is problematic for him but he's a really good run blocker, which this team obviously values. Mm -hmm. um, I, I do think that someone is probably going to pay him more money than he deserves. And, and that's great, but uh, right tackles and tackles in general in the NFL are hard to find. Yeah. And, and I don't know that the Niners necessarily need to overpay him as a result, but I think that he's produced well for this team. Um, and, and I think he gets, you know, I'm not trying to say that he's like a, you know, top two right tackle and, you know, got to pay the man. But uh, I do think he's often misunderstood because of the singular clip nature of things like Twitter. Okay. Diamador Lenore. Ooh, uh, catch point. All uh, right. So for, for me, his biggest issue was at the catch point. Mm -hmm. um, he was often in phase. He did some wonderful things and then the ball came near him and it was like, he just like, it was like the last 10% <laughs> right. that he couldn't, I mean, the touchdown, the flea flicker touchdown to AJ green against the Cardinals. I was like, come on, man, he was there. And then he wasn't, there was a little bit of a push right. off, but, um, but that got better near the end of the year. 
it's got the interception against Dallas. Like, uh, I think he's a player to, to watch potentially. And, and as long as he can improve at the catch point, um, it could be uh, a good player for the 49ers. That is a great point. I, I had not, not seen that coming, but that was a great point. Javon Kenlaw. Bust. All right. <laughs> I think that's pretty clear. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm not disagreeing with you either. <laughs> Trent Williams. Oh man, he's such a good athlete. Like it's athleticism. Like and if, and usually that's not a word that gets attached to someone who's as big as he is, <laughs> but to do what he does, he's just a freakish athlete and and the thing that the reason he's so good is because he's not just a freak athlete, but he's also a technician. And like, and, and even if he were 20% less athletic, he'd still be a, a good left tackle because of how technical he is. It's just, it's incredible to watch a man that size do the things that he does. Um, it's a, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. I like watching him throw people. I think that's always yeah. fun. <laughs> Brandon Ayuk. Oh, he's slick. He's slick and he's slippery. Yeah. Uh, he is someone who I think on a, on a, in a lot of other offenses would uh, he'd make your fantasy teams happy, and the only reason that's not the case here is because he's basically like the fourth option, um, and that doesn't mean he's not a good player though. Um, and especially this season, I think he went a little under the radar. Um, although I think he ended up leading the team in receiving yards um, and and getting over a thousand, yeah. so maybe it wasn't that under the radar. But um, he's just so slick, and, and they're just times that he puts defenders in a, a blender. He's another really good athletic player that I think the Niners drafted well. I think their evaluation held up and and he's a he's a good player. Jimmy Garoppolo. Oh man, that's a tough one. Um I mean also the first word that came to mind was bye. Um <laughs> only because I, I do think this is the end of the Jimmy Garoppolo era. Um but I, I don't I don't mean that by disparagingly. Um, I yeah. do think that it was a, I mean, the Niners found success with Garoppolo mm -hmm. at quarterback. Um, you know, two NFC championship games, one Super Bowl, um, all of which ended not the way the team wanted. But I think f for any five-year run, for any player, for any quarterback, that's a success. That is a success. I agree. I, I, I think that he was good for the 49ers. Uh, I do think that they need to move in a different direction. Uh, but a lot of it has to do with the fact that he just kept getting hurt. And he, this season, he was more aggressive than he's been in the past, but I like how Brock Purdy came in and was more aggressive. And he was that way evidently from the beginning in training camp when he's running against the, the number one defense and, and he's frustrating those guys because he's willing to take some chances and, and the year before, Trey Lance had frustrated them because he wouldn't take chances and they needed him to. So, yeah, so those were great. So when you say, one, found, one real quick question, ahead. when you when you say aggression, what do you what exactly do you mean? Because I'm curious because there's a little bit of like there's I've, I've done a little bit of digging because, you know, I'm, it's, it's hard to kick the habit uh, yeah. <laughs> with uh, with Brock Purdy and with Jimmy. So when you say aggressive, are you talking about hit, like his deep throws or are you talking about his like throwing in a tight coverages? No, I'm talking more deep. Um, yeah, I, I do think that Brock Purdy threw into tight coverage a lot when there was just like pinhole size holes, but somehow he would make that happen where where when Jimmy would try to do that, it would get picked off. You know, there'd be a linebacker that he wouldn't see or whatever. 
But yeah, primarily I'm thinking pushing the ball down the field. Got it. That that makes sense. I, I asked because I had the impression early on that Brock Purdy was more aggressive down the field too. The game that really, that, that I was like, oh man, it was the Tampa Bay game and then the Washington game. He had a couple of really nice down the field throws. And I think it was mm-hmm. against Washington where he had two deep throws over 20 yards outside the numbers. And it took him like, you know, two or three games to do that. And Jimmy Garoppolo hadn't done more than two in his entire like Niners career or whatever. <laughs> um, and, and that narrative got to be built around Brock Purdy. And I thought to myself, okay, we're at the end. Is that true? When you look at their deep throw rate, Jimmy Garoppolo, um, it, you're right. It wasn't as high. Jimmy Garoppolo threw the ball deep at about 9%. Brock Purdy threw it deep about 11.6%. So he okay. does throw deeper more often. The difference not in this much is in, more. Yeah, not much more. 2%. But it's uh, over the course of a season, that's an appreciable difference. That puts yeah. you like in like, you know, 13, 14, maybe 12-ish area as opposed to like bottom. But the, the, uh, the quality of those throws was still very much in Jimmy Garoppolo's camp. Okay. Jimmy Garoppolo has a much better deep throw PFF grade than Brock Purdy does. Brock Are you Purdy talking has accuracy a, or no, this is his PFF uh, grade. So this is the okay. evaluation that the PFF analysts will give them. And what they'll do is they'll basically grade the quality of the throw using a bunch of different parameters. Okay. Um, they grade each individual play um, and then that gets normalized and it goes to zero to 100 scale. Um, and so his score is 71, which puts him 30th out of 36 qualifying quarterbacks, Brock Purdy, which is not great. Whereas Jimmy Garoppolo was his score was like 82, 83, which put him like near to the bottom of the top 10. Hmm. So Jimmy Garoppolo doesn't throw deep as often, but when he does, he's better at it. What gets Brock Purdy is his turnover worthy throws. Those deep throws. He he only had seven turnover worthy plays on the season, um, which was good. It was actually uh, that rate that like 2.5% turnover worthy play rate was about the same as Jimmy Garoppolo this year, which was a good year for Jimmy Garoppolo. The problem was three of those turnover worthy play rates, almost half of them were on deep throws for hmm. Brock. Wow. So at t- so Brock has those wonderful throws that are deep that are like, wow, those are great. But he's also got some like, oh, what are you doing, homie? Uh, <laughs> kind of throws when he's going deep as well. And so like aggression is good, but aggression without skill can be problematic. Yeah. Um, and, and that's, I think, one of the things that Brock has got to improve on if he's really going to take, like, if he's going to take the quarterback position to a next step. Because if, if you're talking about aggression from, like, a, a tight window perspective, Jimmy Garoppolo's got him beat. When you look at tight window throws, and, and next-gen stats defines those as throws that are within one, like, where a defender is within one yard, Brock Purdy is near the bottom of the league in terms of throwing into tight windows. And that's because he doesn't have to. Yeah. Like he, Kyle Shanahan's like, this guy's going to be open. Trust <laughs> me. And, and, and he's right oftentimes. <laughs> um, so his, his aggressiveness rate in terms of throwing when there's a tight window, the rate at which that happens is like less than 10%. Um, and, and that's bottom in the league. Jimmy Garoppolo in the same offense is closer to 14%. Um, and so there's, there's an appreciable difference there in terms of like tight window throws. Um, now, and, and their completion over expectation, um, is also about the same. So, um, I think that's, that's just an interesting little like split into how they play the quarterback position, um, that I think is interesting. That is, that is really good knowledge right there from Oscar. This is why we miss the better rivals. <laughs> it's hard to kick the habit. Let me tell you, <laughs> <laughs> but that's great information, you know, and especially I think for me, that Tampa game where he's just flinging it, 
you know, that sticks out in my mind probably because it was only his second game. Um, and so, yeah, that's, that's good, man, man. I, I miss that stuff. <laughs> All right. Let me hurry on. Cause I've kept you longer than, than I was going to, uh, I just want to try to, to get a couple of things here. Who do you see making a, a big leap like Talanoa Hufanga did this year? That's a good question. I would say uh, probably someone like Samuel Womack. Okay. I mean, he's a fifth round pick and we know the fifth round is, uh, is the money round for the 49ers. So he's already ticked that box. Um, but, you know, he, he had a strong preseason. He had that pick in the preseason early on in week one. Um, I think early on he played well. His play dipped a little bit as the season went on, but I think the team might have him tabbed as a slot corner replacement. And, and it's going to be interesting to see if his performance on the outside translates into the, the middle of the field. I don't think that the, the Niners seem to think that the skill sets are a little interchangeable. They do, they do move uh, some players inside and, and, and kind of they play outside inside. Um, I don't know if that's going to be a good thing for Womack, but he's got the skills. I think he's, he's shown that he can play at least outside corner and, and moving inside will be an interesting test for him. But if someone's going to make a jump like that, I think it could be someone like Samuel Womack who got a little bit of playing time, showed some good things, showed some flashes, and then could be ready for a breakout in, uh, in the following year. Will it happen? I don't know. He doesn't have the, as good a hair, but we'll see. <laughs> well, he has taken the Lenore route, um, which is jump out at the beginning of the season and then disappear for a while. So maybe that will. So is he the one that you predict uh, Womack uh, to be the uh, the nickel? I think so. I think the team might try to find a, a backup, like a, a backup corner that can play outside or move inside. I mean, you look at Dante Johnson, who I think he tore his ACL, so he's going to be out for some time. Um, and he tore it late in the year. And I don't know that the team is going to be able to re-sign Jimmy Ward. I think they let him walk. So now you've got a void at nickel that you've got to fill. And either Womack fits that role, or I think it makes sense for the team to sign a player that is like, you know, maybe like a one year, two year deal, you know, $4 million that can kind of play both spots in case you need it in a pinch. Um, but they do need like backup corner help. Um, yeah. And so we'll see if, if they put that person in, uh, in contention with someone like Will Mack. Um, I did, I, the, the person we're not mentioning here is Ambry Thomas. Cause mm -hmm. I, I don't know that that guy's gonna, I don't know that he's going to do it. He's had two years now. Um, yeah. And, yeah. Well, it's funny that you mentioned Dante Johnson because I think you probably discussed him on the very first episode of the Better, Better Rivals podcast. He's been probably. around forever. <laughs> uh, Steve Wilkes has been hired to be the defensive coordinator. His blitz rate is higher than what the 49ers normally do. What do you think of that hire? And do you think that he'll bring that, uh, that kind of blitzing mindset to the team? I think it's I think it's a good hire as a as a coach and a leader of people, which I know Shanahan values. Um, I mean, everyone loved him in Carolina and the you know, everyone felt like he got a little bit of a raw deal in in Arizona as well. So I think his style is going to be a little different than um, than D'Amico Ryan's or even. Robert Sala, I think his style is from all the pieces that I've read about him. I don't, I don't know him personally, but from all the pieces I've read, he's a bit more measured and cerebral about things than he is kind of rah, rah in your face. 
about them like Sala was. And I, I do think Sala was cerebral, but I mean, the man would run bleachers before games and, <laughs> you know, bick his head and like black out because he was so excited. So like he was, he was the hype man, right? And yeah. I think D'Amico Ryan's was, was similar. Um, you know, the, the blitz rate is, is going to be interesting because I don't think blitzing for blitzing sake is good. I yeah. think blitzing is is sort of a means to an end. And if you can get pressure with four, you certainly want to blitz just to mix things up and not present the same picture. But if you don't have to, you can play more coverage safe defenses if you don't blitz because you have an extra coverage defender. Um, looking at his blitz rates for this past season in Carolina probably aren't instructive only because he didn't call the plays. So you have to go back to places where he's called the plays. And there's not a lot of those samples that are available. Um, and, and when they are there, um, you know, you're looking at somewhere near league average rates for league average for the NFL, like 25, 28%. So I, I don't know that, that he is necessarily going to be a high blitz defensive coordinator, but hopefully much like anyone else, he takes the system and, and like knows how to leverage it effectively. Um, yeah. and if that's the case, then, you know, targeted blitz rates are great. Um, D'Amico Ryan's like to blitz in high leverage situations, third mm -hmm. down, fourth down, late in games. Um, sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't, um, like it didn't against Aaron Rodgers. Um, yeah. but at times, but, but yeah, but I think just hopefully he's able to assess his personnel and know what works for them and deploy a good defense rather than just saying, these are, this is what I usually call and I'm going to do it that way. Um, so I think, you know, I, overall, I think it's a good hire. I, I love the hire. Um, yeah. hopefully he stays a couple of years before he gets another head coaching gig. Cause that means more <laughs> third round picks. <laughs> right. Well, let me ask you one more question. What is your biggest concern for 2023? It's gotta be the quarterback. All right. Everyone. And like this team legitimately is a quarterback away. It, 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 and it could, that quarterback may be on the roster. Mm -hmm. That quarterback may not be, I don't know. Everyone kind of assumes that the way that progression is linear and always up. And, and I'll remind you of someone like Adrian Colbert, whom we thought in the first year of Shanahan was like, oh, we have our free safety spot solved. Seventh yeah. round pick, super athleticism. This is going to be wonderful. And he's never played to the level that he played when he was a rookie. Mm -hmm. His progression was not linear and it was not up. Um, and, and we assume that these players are going to be good. And that this, that how we saw them in the rookie year is their base and they're only going to go up from there. And that may not be true. Right. They, this may be the top and then they go down. Right. I think Jimmy Garoppolo is another good example. Those five games that we saw 2017, mm -hmm. that was the best Jimmy Garoppolo that we've seen outside yep. of maybe this year. Mm -hmm. So his progression was kind of like high dip down a little bit, you know, and then kind of like stay here, kind of go up, come down, go up and then come back up. <laughs> and it wasn't a linear up kind of thing. Yeah. Um, you know, and so however the Niners can get more consistent and just a little better production out of their quarterback, that's going to be the thing that really takes this team to the perennial Super Bowl contention level. And how they figure that out, again, you said it earlier, I'm glad I'm not getting paid to make that decision, but they've got to get that decision right. Because if they do, this team is built to win. Yeah. Yeah, and that's what's caused me to be a little slow in jumping on the Purdy bandwagon, even though I want him to succeed and be great. <clears throat> I know that NFL history is littered with quarterbacks who looked great early on and uh, and then became not great. So 
I guess I'm cautiously optimistic uh, about that. Oscar, that's, thanks so that's much. Good, that's, a, that's a very better rivals answer. Cautiously. <laughs> oh, I feel honored. <laughs> I'm an honorary better rivals guy. Uh, Y'all taught us well. And thanks, thanks for all those years of doing it. And thanks for joining us here. Um, if you're on YouTube and you're watching, make sure you subscribe to the 49ers Camelot show. If you're watching on iTunes or listening on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts, uh, please make sure you rate, review, subscribe, do all those kinds of things um, so that I think that people like me. That makes me feel better. <laughs> so again, Oscar, thanks. And hey, you've got to close out the show in a way that only you can. Well, thank you, Mark, for having me on. It's been a pleasure. And as always, go Niners. <laughs>